welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where all things entertainment cross over with all things pop culture, meaning all topics are fair discussion, including TV, movies, music, sports, video games. All of it is discussed on this podcast. On this week's episode of the podcast, I've got discussion on week three of Survivor with twist, twist, and more twist. Seinfeld is on Netflix, but not in its original form. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you all the details on why that is. Big Brother 23 is over, but what are the house guests up to since they've gotten out of the house? And Rolling Stone has released their list of top songs of all time. I'm going to talk about all of these topics and more on this week's episode of the podcast. Let's get into some TV talk here, first thing. Let's get into Survivor. Week three of Survivor. Twist, twist, twist. Advantages, advantages, votes, no votes, protect your vote, steal a vote, can't vote. There's a lot going on. I've already said this in a previous podcast, but I feel like they're throwing way too many twists in this season of Survivor. I get that they're wanting to switch it up and everything, but holy cow, it's it's a lot to really keep up with. And I'm going to get into that with this episode. I'm going to probably go back to this topic or continue it along the way. Let's recap some of the happenings that uh, went on in this episode. So what's funny is with that discussion, not only is there a lot going on, but then they dumped the latest advantage basically right into the middle of them in camp to where they could easily be found so the beware advantage lands at all three camps and what is really funny is like tiffany woke up and basically found one on her (laughs) so i was like did they basically just show up and just throw it in her lap or something you know but all three were easily found so and the deal with it is the the beware advantage has it to where the finder of it has to get on a boat and in the middle of the night and then they have to go make a decision. If you don't do this, you lose a vote. So we already know Tiffany found hers. Brad is the one that found his at his camp. And we also found out that 30 minutes prior to this that Brad had actually also found the three-way idol advantage that was, you know, one part was found by Xander last week and the other one's still out there hidden at the other camp. So Brad actually found this as well. And he was out with Jeannie when he found it. So she was she was in on it too. He's like, oh my goodness, look what I just found. So within like 30 minutes... Brad found this beware advantage and he also found the other three-way idol advantage. So Sydney is the one that found it over at her camp. So Brad, Tiffany, and Sydney all get on their boats and they go off to a secret location. This is going to be another one of those steal a vote things. And so they can either choose to get a tarp for their camp or steal a vote, blah, 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 blah. 
This steal a vote thing makes my brain fry every single time it's discussed where I just can't seem to grasp it. So I'm going to I'm going to read what Entertainment Weekly posted with their survivor recap just as a way to like because my brain even fried when I read it as they recapped it perfectly. So if all three choose the tarp, all tribes will get the tarp. If all players choose the steal a vote, they'll all lose their vote at the next tribal. But if there's a split decision, all players who choose the tarp receive nothing, while the others will win the steal a vote. Every time this pops up on my TV every week, right back to the first episode when they do all this if everybody does this, they do this. If it, But if it's split, it's this. Now, if none of them do this, it's this. My brain just can't handle it. It's, for whatever reason, my brain just fries every single time that they describe it. Even when it is perfectly <laughs> described to me. It's like, it's just, it's too much. It's just too much. And I've been seeing a lot online, too, that people just don't seem really that crazy about about the steal a vote thing. So with they all go to the island here. Well, I don't know if it's an island. Anyway, they go to their secret location. Somewhere else on the island. Let's say that. And they're all discussing on what they want to do. Tiffany gets on Sydney's nerves pretty well immediately because Sydney's more reserved on it, not really knowing what to do, and she doesn't really want to make a big bold play, whereas Tiffany's like, I'm here to play Survivor and this is what do you what are we here for? Let's play Survivor. Let's do it. And that really rubbed Sydney wrong to where she really didn't trust in what was going to happen here with what she would pick. So again with the confusion of how this all works, Brad's going to end up with the steal of vote while Sydney and Tiffany didn't end up with anything when they get back to camp. So Brad's the only one that uh, came back with something. So we get to the immunity challenge where it's going to be phrase time again. If you remember it last week, we had the revelation of this three-way idol advantage to where if you have to say a phrase at, before the immunity challenge and find a way to say this phrase to where nobody realizes what you're doing, if one person says it, every one of the three has a phrase that they have to say. So if they know what they have to say and they know what other ones to hear said, so they know, oh, okay, they've got the clue over there at that camp. Yeah, it's a lot. But this one's actually kind of entertaining. I have kind of enjoyed this one, but it, I don't I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot. This season's a lot. So when Brad was reading his advantage... Back when he found it, he saw the phrases and he and Jeannie remembered Xander saying the butterflies line. They were like, oh, that's why he said the butterflies thing. He, he's the one he's got it. Xander's got one of those. So Brad knows that he has one and Xander has one. Does anybody else have one? And obviously we know that they're the only two that have found one. So Brad says his line during during this while they're all talking to Jeff, and he kind of stumbles through it, but he does a good job. I mean, he tries, and of course Xander picks up on it, and he's like, oh, okay. 
and Xander found a way to repeat his line from last week. And I thought they did a good job trying to make something so awkward work as easily as you could without making people look at you like you're just crazy. <laughs> like, why does this dude keep talking about butterflies, <laughs> you know, or something, something along those lines. But I thought they did a good job. So immunity challenge top two are going to be safe from tribal council here as Luvu finishes first followed by Yasa who finishes in second and they made a comeback to get to second that's going to put Ua in and go into tribal council to vote somebody out so JD put a target on himself with because he struggled in the challenge so it definitely put a spotlight on him to where you know it's you know how it is if you struggle during a challenge it's an easy vote you know where if anybody's just like well you know what they cost us the challenge we'll just vote them out that's kind of the way a lot of times it goes with survivor so jd he has this target on him and he realizes it you know like oh i'm probably in trouble here so what about brad with his two advantage finds well this isn't going to go well for him because he went from having two advantages to where it looked like it was going to be good to now he has nothing because he got the steal a vote, but now he can't vote at all because with the way that three-way idol is played, until that three-way idol gets activated, you can't vote at every tribal council until that happens. So he's got the steal a vote, but he can't vote at all. So... This advantage really did nothing for him. So JD gets himself in more trouble here where he roams off and he says that he's going to go to the bathroom. When he returns, he does a bad job of hiding what he found when Shan sees the clue sticking out of his shorts. And she's like, what's that? He's like, uh, um, um, <laughs> you know, where he had been busted on that. So he did a really bad job of hiding what he had found. So he gets called out on it, and he's like, uh-oh. So he talks to Shan and Ricard, saying, you know, I'm going to come clean, showing that he has it. And Shan, in her interview, says, he isn't coming clean. He got caught, <laughs> which was a good line. So Shan, at this point, is all about voting JD out. And JD realizes he's in trouble. So here is one move that got a lot of people talking last night that were watching. So JD talks to Shan and he tries to offer a way to try and get back in the good graces of the tribe and especially her. So he offers the extra vote advantage that he got. And I just want to talk about the fact that he just walked out to go to the bathroom and he comes back with an advantage. It reminds you of like Super Mario or something where they're just dropping stars and and like flowers and mushrooms. <laughs> it's like it's like a it's like a cheat version of Super Mario Brothers or something to where it's just like you just walk into the woods and it's like boom, here's an advantage that I walk back with. It's like are they just hiding like out in the open or something? It's just it's crazy how many advantages that there are going on. So he talks to Shan as a way, you know, trying to get back in her good graces. And he actually offers the extra vote that he found with this advantage to Shan to hold on to as a way to say, hey, I'm trusting you with this, and this is a way I'm trying to prove my loyalty to try to get back in your good graces. Now, he realizes, obviously, this is either going to save him or be one of the dumbest things ever, <laughs> sending him home. So we get to tribal council. 
JD gives this great speech to Jeff talking about how much survivors meant to him in his life and how it's made him who he is today. Like the way, like he said, his hair, even the way he's got his hair honors previous survivors. And it's just an awesome speech. I love JD a lot. And you root for him. And then in this moment, we're just thinking he's probably going home and this stinks. But that's not what ends up happening. The votes are red. JD stays and Brad gets blindsided by a three to one vote. Now, Shan was the one that was trying to figure out which way to go in the vote, as we had seen earlier. And she ended up going to try and save JD with her vote. So now Brad went from going from nothing to having two advantages, potentially, gained one, had the other, lost both of them, and then gets voted out of the game. So that's how that played out with week three of Survivor. I don't like the twist. I don't like the advantages. It's too much. It's just too much. There's, It's like you can't even keep up with who has votes, who can't vote. Like they're just walking into the woods and are finding advantages. And Because I remember people used to complain about how many hidden immunity idols that there were. And how easily, you know, it was like somebody would just roam off into the woods and they'd find the hidden immunity idol right after they had played one. And there were people that didn't like that. But at least that was one, you know, and they had to put some effort into finding them. It just seems like these things are just literally like landing in their lap, which was basically kind of what happened with, you know, the the beware advantage on this episode. But it's just, it's too much. And... I don't know if this is going to get better or worse as far as like how many of these are available. Hopefully it chills out, but I don't know. We're going to have to see about that. But I like this cast a lot and I like the season, but I just, I don't like the advantages. It's just, it's way overplayed. It's way overdone. So we'll have to see how that plays out as we go. So let's talk about some of the post-Big Brother stuff that's been going on as the house house guests are out of the house. They're out. Some of Most of them have went back home, back to their families. Several of them are still hanging out together in the post-Big Brother world here as uh, Todder Call, who is a big Big Brother fan, has several of the house guests staying at his house. I believe it's Xavier, Kylan, Tiffany, Derek X, Asa, and Hannah are all staying there, and they've been there for like a week, and it's uh, it's really awesome uh, that they're all just still having so much fun. They've been doing a lot of social media from there, doing videos and photo shoots. It just seems like they're just really having fun, just enjoying one another. It's really been awesome. It's just so funny that they're out of the house and are able to go back home, and they're just like, no, we're having fun hanging out, and they just still haven't went back home, and I love that. I love that a lot. Some of the cast has jumped right back into social media. Some have not. Uh, Sarah Beth initially was just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of chill out. You know, she was kind of like, I'm, I'll be with you guys, but just let me kind of kind of ease out here a little bit. And she slowly started to arrive on social media. She's done a video and then she did a GIF post that I thought was funny where it was just of herself saying, sorry, America. So... <laughs> It's like that self-aware moment. I just, I really hope that Sarah Beth, because I know she she embraced the villain and she took a, on the show and she got a lot of heat among fans and there was a lot of things that she did that we just weren't happy about in the game. But again, it's a game. It's a game. And I hope that Sarah Beth can just 
ease herself onto social media and just interact and have fun and just enjoy, you know, the experience. I hope it's something that she can just kind of slowly ease herself into and just enjoy like her post Big Brother experience here. And it's going to be the same way with a lot of them because it's because you're so stuck in the game and then you get out of the house and you're taking all the heat from the fans about your game and and it's a whirlwind where it's like you're just trying to settle back into what was your normal life, but you've got your normal life and you've got like this celebrity status basically from being on Big Brother. And then you've got the fans coming at you, calling you out on game stuff, you know, and that's the thing you got to remember. It's a game, you know, it's just a game. And hopefully all these Big Brother house guests can, you know, ease their way into this and just kind of settle themselves in. So RHAP, they interviewed Hannah for 30 minutes yesterday with Rob and Taryn handling it. And I thought it was just a really good interview with her. One thing I really liked in that interview is that Taryn told Hannah that she was the one that took the target off of herself during Christian's HOH week. In the house, Xavier, Tiffany, and Kylan told her that they had saved her, but it was actually Hannah that saved herself, and she was really happy to hear that. Uh, she didn't know that until Taryn had told her, so that was something that really made her happy here. And it's like, oh, well, they told me it was them, so it actually was me. That makes me feel good. Claire has been, she's been active, very active on social media. She's been on Twitter. She's been live tweeting, watching Survivor. So that's going to be really awesome that she's going to jump in and watch Survivor with us. Of course, she's a reality TV fanatic, of course, being a super fan, jumping on Big Brother. Uh, Derek X, he's very active on his social media. Brittany's been Brittany's been on social media. Uh, she even poked fun at herself, um, asking for her account to be verified, and she did a post saying "knock knock verified," and while showing the picture of herself that became famous of her at the HOH door in the middle of the night, where she caught Alyssa and Christian in bed together, unknowingly. And she knocked at the door, and of course Alyssa gets up and roams off, and Brittany was like just wanting to talk about just something random and had no idea what she'd roamed into. So I, I thought when she got out, I was like, how long till people show her these memes and these videos that got edited because <laughs> of that funny moment? And so she's embraced that. I thought it was funny that she's she's poking fun at herself and... Uh, so I thought that was funny when I saw that post of it. And there was a really sweet moment to where Brittany was talking to Asa on uh, doing a video where they were talking to one another live. And then Brittany's parents popped in. They were like, oh, we just heard your voice from the other room. We wanted to pop in and meet you. It was just a really, really sweet moment. And with Brittany's parents wanting to meet Asa. So just a very, very cool moment. And of course, several of them have jumped on Cameo. Which is, that's always the way it is with all, with, with really a lot of things now. Especially reality TV, there's a lot of that that goes on. Basically, if you're not familiar with Cameo, you jump on Cameo. And, like, for me, if there was, let's say there's a Big Brother house guest that I really liked and I wanted to get, like, a shout-out. Or, oh, let's use a better example. Let's say I knew somebody that was a Big Brother fan and they were like, oh, they were such a fan of Britney. Let's say Britney, for example. Like, oh, you know, I could get Britney to basically cameo. You pay a certain amount of money and I could get this person, a friend of mine that's a super fan of Britney's. 
I could get Brittany to record a video for a happy birthday to my friend. That's basically what Cameo is. There's there's uh, reality TV on there. There's sports people, uh, musicians, actors, actresses, just all kinds of different different genres on there. But of course, reality TV is very heavy on there. And a lot of the current cast of Big Brother has already jumped on there. I thought I'd show some of the price tags that you are looking for on some of these that uh, have jumped on there. Hannah is at $60 if you want her. Tiffany's $75. Claire is $49. I think she was actually $39. So I think she's went up $10 from the last time I saw it a few days ago. Uh, Brittany is at 39. Derek X is at 69. Ky Kyland is at 49. Ozza is at 50. She actually initially was at 99. And I actually saw her poke fun at uh, something on Twitter where I guess people had been going at her for the price of her cameo. And uh, she, she posted, I can't remember what she posted, but then I saw this today where she was down to 50. I was like, oh, okay, she must have, she must have taken the heat, decided to lower it a little bit. I thought that was funny. So, and then Brent's at 39, Frenchie's at 25, Christian's at 30, and Travis is at 50. So, got all kinds of different prices in there. I think Cameo's very cool. That's something I've always enjoyed. I've actually had a friend of mine uh, got me a cameo on there one time from somebody. I think it was a it was happy birthday. No, it wasn't. It was a, it was a uh, message for the upcoming season of a show. Uh, they got me a cameo for that. Just, just as a cool thing to do. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, I know for me, it's like, if anybody wants to get me some, get a cameo for me, <laughs> for some of these Big Brother house guests, because it's not just the current house guests, it goes back seasons and seasons ago, so if anybody wants to hook me up with a cameo for some Big Brother house guests, I can give you a list of ones that I would be thrilled to get, <laughs> get a cameo from, and you can pick accordingly on whichever one you want to go for, so... Yeah, if you want to get some cameos from some of your favorite Big Brother 23 house guests, jump on there. It's very cool. I love cameo. It's a very fun thing. And even not even just Big Brother. Jump on there and just see what all you can find. It's it's a cool site. It's very, very cool. I saw Jeff and Jordan from a previous Big Brother season, of course. Uh, Big Brother 11 and 13, correct? Or Big Brother 10 and 13. Big Brother 11 and 13. And they, they're awesome. I watched some of their videos and I thought, holy cow, do they give you your money's worth with uh, what they give you on their cameo videos. So very, very cool. So another thing to talk about this week, I mentioned last week that, uh, maybe I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not. Seinfeld is now on Netflix, but there's an issue with Seinfeld on Netflix and a lot of fans are pretty upset over this, and I understand why. Now, if you remember, Seinfeld was originally shot in 4 by 3 ratio. It is 16 by 9 on Netflix. So what is happening is you know how it is when you go 4 by 3 and go to 16 by 9 It crops. It crops some of the video off. So what is happening is the 16 by 9 is cutting out some of the visuals of the show, including some of the jokes that were visual because you can't see them. 
One example is the pothole episode where George is looking for his keys over a pothole that has been paved over. So in the original 4x3, you can see where the pothole is and that it's been paved over. In the 16x9, you can't see the paved over pothole. You just see a paved street. So this is happening in several things with, uh, with Seinfeld, where a lot of the visual things are being cut off. And if you remember, this was a very hot topic when Disney Plus launched with the Simpsons episodes. And of course, the Simpsons episodes were four by three, a lot of, the, a lot of those as well. And they were put into a 16 by 9 format, and it was cropping off a lot of the visuals on The Simpsons. And a lot of fans were really pushing back on that. And Disney Plus finally gave in to the complaints, and they took them all down and put the, put the original 4x3 episodes up. So, And then also, I remember Buffy with one of the DVD sets that this was a thing with it to where... They were doing the 16 by 9 thing with that, the discussion on that. And, you know, the Buffy producers and like Joss and all them, they spoke up and said, hey, we like, no, we don't want we don't want 16 by 9. It's like we didn't shoot this to be a 16 by 9 show. We want we shot this as a four by three. And because a lot of the 16 by 9 was looking worse and they were like, yeah, it's going to look worse as a 16 by 9 because we didn't shoot this to be a 16 by 9. We shot it to be a 4 by 3. We need it to be left alone as a 4 by 3. So this is something that goes on quite a bit. So when this happened with Seinfeld, I just thought, why can these streaming services not seem to be aware that this is going to be an issue when you start taking these 4 by 3s and then stretching them and cropping with a 16 by 9 that you're going to lose some of your visual. And it's like they don't seem to be learning from what is happening with these previous shows. Because you're going to cut off some of the visuals with these shows. So we're going to have to wait and see if they do anything with Seinfeld. If they maybe pull them down and then go maybe put the original 4 by 3s up. It'll be something to follow. One show that I have been watching in the last week, and I am very late to the party here, but please let me in because I'm really enjoying it. Ted Lasso that airs on Apple TV. I love this show a lot. Of course, I've been seeing everybody talking about it for months, and I am admittedly way late to the party, but holy cow, I love the show. I think with this show... Um, I think I expected it to be like more of a Saturday Night Live, like skit type show, you know, kind of what you get a lot of times with the Saturday Night Live things when they kind of spin off to shows. And it really isn't that. It really is not that. This show, it has that kind of comedy, but this show has just so much heart to it. Uh, that character of Ted Lasso will just absolutely reel you in in wanting him to succeed because he's just such a genuine likable person to where even when there's just people being so mean and hateful to to him that are around him he just never flinches really you know and 
And when he does flinch, it's such an eye-opening thing because it's so different from his personality to where you see, like, there is that sad side in him at times and that, that dark side, you know, of where, you know, life gets to him at times, but but on the outside, he just has just that such a kind, gentle, like, just a great spirit to him and a great heart to him. But the basic story of this show, if you're not familiar with it, is that he was brought in over to England from the United States to coach this team, which uh, in, in England it's football, to us here in the States it's soccer, but he's brought in to coach this team and he's basically brought in to fail. That's That's the whole intent is that the owner of the team, his wife is now in charge of the team, and their relationship has completely went to disaster. And now she has taken over the team, and she is wanting to destroy this team and this organization just as a way to get back at him for all the, all the bad that he has done to her in the relationship and the divorce and everything and just all that went bad. So he is brought in basically to fail. So he thinks he's coming over there. And of course he brings, brings his assistant coach over and Ted's just ripped to shreds immediately in the media, the opening press conference. And the, the pilot episode is so good with how they cover all that to where you're getting the reaction of the people in the room the people that are watching it, like the sports bars and the restaurants, who are like, who is this guy? He doesn't know anything about the sport. And he admits it that he's like, I really don't know anything about this, but I'm I'm gonna I'm excited to do this job. And so he's just getting ripped to shreds by the media, by the fans of the team. And I just I love the evolution where you see person after person not wanting to like him. They want him to fail, but then when they when they get around him, they end up loving him because they see just how genuine he is. And it's really neat to see how these characters evolve through the show. And he's just that good-hearted person that you wish everyone was. Just but just so many good moments of evolution with these characters, especially over season 1. And good foreshadowing in season one as well of of showing where these stories are going to go. And then as they get along, you're like, oh, okay, that was set up a while ago, you know. And it's just, it's very good storytelling. I binged the first season in one night <laughs> because I was enjoying it that much. Season two, I'm about halfway through season two, a little around halfway. I just finished... The Christmas episode last night, and then the episode after the Christmas episode. So, yeah, I am late to the party, but I am all in on Ted Lasso. This is a very, very good show, and it's I can see the show being a fun, rewatchable show to where even though you've seen it, I think it would be fun to watch on a rewatch. And I've laughed out loud so many times and then there's moments to where you're cheering and 
it's just very well done. I don't want to go into spoilers right now. I may go into spoilers as we near the end of season two here when I get caught up on that. I might do that maybe next week or something. But as of right now, I'm not going to talk spoilers. But yeah, Ted Lasso, just a very cool show. I really understand all the hype on it now. But I'm late to the party. But please accept me and let me in because I'm really enjoying it. If you're a music fan, Rolling Stone has probably gotten you fired up this week. <laughs> for, for good and bad reasons, because everybody has music that they like and don't like, and what's better and what's worse. What they have done, they back in 2004, they released their list of what they considered to be the 500 greatest songs of all time and made the list in order. This was back in 2004, so they have released an updated list. I'm going to read this off of off of their website here on what they decided to do with this. In 2004, Rolling Stone published its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. It's one of the most widely read stories in our history, viewed hundreds of millions of times on this site. But a lot has changed since 2004. Back then, the iPod was relatively new. Billie Eilish was three years old. So we've decided to give the list a total reboot. To create the new version of the RS500, we convened a poll of more than 250 artists, musicians, and producers, as well as figures from the music industry and leading critics and journalists. They each sent in a ranked list of their top 50 songs, and we tabulated the results. Nearly 4,000 songs received votes, where the 2004 version of the list was dominated by early rock and roll. The new edition contains more hip-hop, modern, modern country, indie rock, Latin pop, reggae, and R&B. More than half the songs here, 254 in all, weren't present on the old list. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Including a third of the top 100. Wow. The result is a more expansive, inclusive vision of pop. Music that keeps rewriting its history with every beat. Wow, that's interesting. So, of the 500 songs, 254 of them were not on the original list. Wow, that's... Quite interesting. So this list has obviously... I, I've heard some rumblings. I've heard people complaining. And I've seen some people taking on kind of the list and reading the top 20. So I'm only aware of the top 20. So what I'm going to do... I'm just going to scroll through this and just kind of give my reactions as I go. And then also just cover cover the list i'm going to give you the top 20 and then we'll just take it from there and see how far i want to go but the top 20 songs i've went over these so there's not much like instant reaction to this i should point out too let me make sure i get this right i want to tell you what the list was okay in 2004 the top song was like a rolling stone by bob dylan that was the original greatest song of all time, ranked by Rolling Stone in 2004. 
Number two was the Rolling Stones with I Can't Get No Satisfaction. That was number two. So the original top two songs on this year's list. So Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone fell to number four. And the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, is not in the top 20 at all. Wow. Okay. Okay, so here's here's the top 20. Let's go through these. Aretha Franklin, Respect, is considered number one. Great song. Public Enemy, number two. Fight the Power, great song. Number three, Sam Cooke. A Change is Gonna Come. Of course, number four, Bob Dylan, Like a Rolling Stone. Nirvana comes in here at number five with Smells Like Teen Spirit. So, holy cow, 90s uh, alternative. Number six, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On. Of course, that song's been redone at least one other time. That's a big song there. The Beatles, Strawberry Fields Forever is the song that is number, I guess what is considered to be the number one Beatles song. I'm a very casual Beatles fan. I enjoy the Beatles. I like them. And so I'm not really in depth on like my Beatles knowledge, but this is a song I'm not familiar with. I, I Maybe if I heard it, I would know it. But as far as the title itself, but that's very kind of bizarre that that's the song of all the Beatles songs that got the number one spot of this is considered the number one Beatles song, apparently, I guess. Like, I know I've got a friend listening that's a hardcore Beatles fan, so hit me up. Tell me what you think of this, because I know you've got an opinion on <laughs> if this is considered the best Beatles song here by Rolling Stone. Number eight is Missy Elliott, Get Your Freak On. Fleetwood Mac is number nine with Dreams. Number 10, Outcast with Hey Ya. Number 11, The Beach Boys, God Only Knows. Number 12, Stevie Wonder with Stu Superstition. Number 13, The Rolling Stones with Gimme Shelter. So the Rolling Stones got bumped. They were number two with I Can't Get No Satisfaction, that song is now to, not even in the top 20 now, and now Gimme Shelter is in here for their top song. Uh, number 14, The Kinks with Waterloo Sunset. Now number 15, here's the Beatles again with I Want to Hold Your Hand. Now see, that to me... Like I can understand now. I know that song. I know the. I know. I want to hold your hand. That song's a monster. I wouldn't that be? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I'm reacting kind of as I read this list here. It seems like I would put that song over Strawberry Fields Forever. Right. I mean. I don't know. That's that's just me. Beyonce featuring Jay Z. Crazy in Love is number sixteen. 17, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, I love that song. That's that's an epic song. I've got to think that's the top Queen song of all time, right? I mean, you have We Will Rock You, and they've had some other monster hits, but I think Bohemian Rhapsody was just such a unique song 
and just really kind of its own phenomenon, you know, back in the day. And then it had such a huge revival to where it just pushed to the next level uh, when Wayne's World came out 92, I believe it was 92, and really just took that song to a whole nother level and gave a whole different generation, myself included, you know, their first real attention on that song. So yeah, that's that's fitting. I'm good with that. Number 18, Prince and a Revolution, Purple Rain. Good with that. That I mean, that's got to be the top Prince song of all time. You know, I think if you have a top 20 list, Purple Rain's got to be in there, right? That's seems logical to me. Number 19, John Lennon, Imagine. I love that song. Now here's number 20, Robin, Dancing on My Own. And my first thought was like, this is the, this is the Robin from the 90s, right, that I'm familiar with, with uh, Show Me Love, uh, Do You Know What It Takes. And so Dancing on My Own, I'm not even familiar when this song came out. But Dancing on My Own is considered, I guess, her top song. Looking this up here, I'm hitting their list here to see if it kind of gives a detail on when this song is released. No, it just gives a little ride. No, it does. Okay, 2010. <laughs> so, I mean, she's been, of course, she's... Of course, I'm talking about stuff where, like, her songs that got released here in the U.S. So that's that's a completely different ball game because, you know, how many how many just incredible artists over the years just have a hard time like breaking in here in the United States? Not only just breaking in, but staying in. I mean, they can get in, and then like Kylie Minogue, you know, you think about her years ago. She had that big hit in the '80s. And then she just kind of went away, and then she got huge international. And then 2002, she come back over here as far as, I say come back over here, but she was had like another hit, uh, Can't Get You Out of My Head. You know, she blazed a trail back with that. So Robin has had a big, a big career, you know, international. And then she's had some hits here in the States. But it's interesting, she's had this song from 2010. I need to go listen to that song, actually, because I'm not familiar with it. All right, we're going to dance through some more here. We're going to see We're gonna see what kind of rabbit hole <laughs> we can get down here. I have not seen from here on out. This is, this is going to be new. 21, Billie Holiday with Strange Fruit. 22, The Ronettes, Be My Baby. Sure. 23, David Bowie with Heroes. So that is what they consider to be Bowie's top song, apparently. Okay, here's another Beatles song at 24, A Day in the Life, released in 1967. Uh, 25, Kanye West, Runaway. 26, Joni Mitchell, A Case of You, released in 1971. First Bruce Springsteen song, 27, goes comes in at number 27, Born to Run. Uh, we move up to 28, Talking Heads, Once in a Lifetime. 29, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Wow, nothing but a G thing. 
from 1992. Wow, that song was quite a quite a trailblazer in the early 90s rap. That was uh, that was a monster on MTV back in the day. Number 30, Lord with Royals, released in 2011. Okay, here we go. Number 31, last year or 2004's number two song. The Rolling Stones' I Can't Get No Satisfaction falls all the way off the cliff to number 31. Wow. I'm curious to know what the ages are of these people that have voted on this. And, like, what's the range of age? That's something... Because it's like, is this is the demo younger on this... Uh, this list compared to 2004, which I assume it would be. Uh, 32, Notorious B.I.G. with Juicy at 32. Chuck Berry, Johnny B. Good, number 33. There's a classic from 1958. 34, James Brown, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. That was released in 1966. 35, Little Richard, Tutti Frutti. So we have a lot of classics that are hitting the 30s here. This top 30 has a lot of classics. 36, The White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. 37, Prince with another one with Dove's Cry. So yeah, that's his other big monster hit there. 38, Otis Redding, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay from 1967. There's a classic song. Outcast, B.O.B., number 39. 40, Jimi Hendrix, Experience All Along the Watchtower. 41, Joy Division, Love Will Tear Us Apart. 42, Bob Marley and the Wailers, Redemption Song. 43, The Temptations, My Girl. I do like that we're in this range, we're getting a lot of the more classic music in here. I like that. Motown and stuff like that. So, okay. This is Michael Jackson's first appearance on this at 44 with Billie Jean. That's one I was thinking about. When do we see Michael Jackson and what do they consider his number one song? And I was trying to think that at the time when I was putting his name through my head, what they would pick. And yeah, Billie Jean's probably it, right? That I can think of off the top of my head. Because that thing was a monster. I'm curious to see where his next song lands at. Curious actually to know where that song landed on the original countdown list as well. Kendrick Lamar sitting at 45 with All Right. 46, M.I.A. with Paper Planes. That is a pretty awesome song. That's pretty wild that it got in the top 50 of all time. It was released in 2008. Now, I do remember first time I heard that song, I was on my way home from work. I was flipping radio stations. I was like, what is this? It was just such... Like that background music to it just really grabs you because it's just so different. It's just such a different sounding song that it just pulls you in. Just that that background music that plays through the whole thing. But wow, I mean, that song beats 
Number 47, which is Elton John with Tiny Dancer out of 1972. 48 is Radiohead with Idiotech. That was out of 2000. 49, Lauren Hill, Doo-Wop, That Thing, 1998. Lauren Hill was massive, massive hit <laughs> at that time. Lauren Hill was everywhere, and she was winning all kinds of awards in that era. Number 50, Daddy Yankee, Gasolina from 2010. Not familiar with that song. That's one that is new to me. So that is through the top 50. I think I'm going to go through the top 100 is my plan. So keep riding along with me as I continue to load up this list. And I'm sure this list is making a lot of people cranky as I'm reading. 51, Dionne Warwick, Walk On By. That was a big hit. So it's, it's interesting to see that the 70s has really held up on this list with what they uh with what they're ranking going with that 52 donna summer with i feel love that was out in 1977 here we go beach boys 53 good vibrations from 1966 54 smoky robinson and the miracles the tracks of my tears that was released in 1965 here's the first madonna song 55 like a prayer man i don't know is uh that I don't know is it seems like it would be between that and like a virgin right would be probably her top so I don't know there's so many great Madonna songs it's that's uh that would be tough just to even rank Madonna songs like to just do a top <laughs> top 10 of Madonna songs 56 is Missy Elliott's Work It, number 2000, uh, number 2000, released in 2000. So this is the second Missy Elliott song on there. I believe it was, I think it's just two. Of course, her first song was like, what was it, top 10? I think it was top 10. High, anyway, it was top 20. It was in the original top 20 list I read a while ago. 57, Sly and the Family Stone with Family Affair. That was released in 1971. 58, The Band with the song The Weight, released in 1968. 59 is Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five with The Message, released in 1982. Ranked number 60, Kate Bush Running Up That Hill. That's an interesting one there. That's that one. Yeah, this that one has been remade here lately too. Wow. So they've got that song ranked as number 60, released in 1985. I say re-release. There's another band that uh, has done a version of that song uh, probably 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. Number 61, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. Wow, that seems kind of low. <laughs> as uh, big as that song is, that seems awful low for that to be down there at 61. 62, U2 with one, released in 1992. That's, I've got a, yeah, I think that's the number one U2 song. That song was quite a monster in 1992 as well. So they've that's the first appearance for U2 
in this list. I also really like Streets Have No Name. I've got to think that's going to be awful high on uh, on this list. That album that one was on was a big hit for you too. 63, Dolly Parton, Jolene, released in 1974. 64 is the Ramones with Blitzkrieg Bop. That was released in 1976. 65, Earth, Wind, and Fire, song September, released in 1978. 66, Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water, that was released in 1970. Bob Dylan, Tangled Up in Blue, that is number 67 on this list, that was released in 1975. Chic, number 68, Good Times, released in 1979. Here's Taylor Swift. First Taylor Swift song at number 69 is All Too Well, released in 2012. Wow! Of all the Taylor Swift songs, that's the one they pick as the top, top one. What do you think, Taylor Swift fans? I'm sure the Taylor Swift fans probably have a lot to say about that. I don't know, but I don't... Mm. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's, uh, all right. I don't know. I, there's a lot of songs I would pick for a top Taylor Swift song more than, more than that one. Number 70, here is Elvis Presley's first appearance. Man, Elvis doesn't appear till 70. There is no Elvis Presley on this list until 70. Wow. And that is Suspicious Minds from 1969. That is the first Elvis song on the list. Wow. 71, Tracy Chapman, Fast Car, released in 1988. Number 72, The Beatles are back again with Yesterday, released in 1965. Interesting here. It says McCartney auditioned the song for George Martin with the working title Scrambled Eggs in a Hotel Room in Paris in January 1964 before the Beatles had even landed in America but would not record it for another year and a half. McCartney confessed we were a little embarrassed about it. We were a rock and roll band. It says the number one single in America yesterday was, in his own words, the most complete song I have ever written. Interesting. 73, Beyonce with Formation, was released in 2016. Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah, number 74, released in 1984. Number 75, Pulp with Common People, released in, released in 1996. 76, Johnny Cash, I'll Walk the Line. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, Johnny Cash, that's... Probably his num numero uno song. <laughs> when I think Johnny Cash, that's the that's the song I hear in my head. The Modern Lovers, Roadrunner, is number 77 on this list. That was released in 1976. The Four Tops, Reach Out, I'll Be There, released in 1967. That lands at 78 on this list. Number 79, Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. That was released in 2006. Number 80, Ray Charles, What I Say, released in 1957. Velvet Underground, 
Number 81, I'm Waiting for the Man. That was released in 1967. Adele, Rolling in the Deep, 2011 release. That is number 82 on this list. Another Bob Dylan song, Desolation Row, released in 1965. That is number 83 on the list. Number 84, Al Green, Let's Stay Together, 1971 was the release date of that. Another Prince song, number 85, Kiss, released in 1986. Rolling Stones are back with another song here, number 86, Tumbling Dice, released in 1972. LCD Sound System, All My Friends, released in 2007, 2007, comes in at 87 on this list. Guns N' Roses, number 88, Sweet Child of Mine, released in 1987. Yeah, that's probably the first song I would go with for Guns N' Roses as well. Hey Jude, this, for me, this song would go higher on my Beatles list. It's at 89 here. Hey Jude was released in 1968. Uh, during the recording sessions, producer George Martin objected to the length of the song, saying, you know, the song was at 7 minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, producer George Martin objected to the length, claiming DJs would not play the song. And John Lennon said, they will if it's us. That's what he fired back in response to that. Paul McCartney wrote Hey Jude, June 1968, singing to himself on his way to visit Lennon's soon-to-be ex-wife, Cynthia, and their son, Julian. Uh, the opening lines were, McCartney once said, a hopeful message for Julian. Come on, man, your parents got divorced. I know you're not happy, but you'll be okay. And McCartney changed Jules to Jude. And the name was inspired by Jude from the musical Oklahoma. Number 90, Aretha Franklin, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Number 91, UGK, featuring Outcast International Players Anthem. It was released in 2007. Number 92, Little Richard, Good Golly, Miss Molly. 1958 was the release date for that. It came in at number 92. Wow, 93, Kelly Clarkson with Since You've Been Gone. Released in 2004. Wow. So there's some early 2000s pop landing right here on the list in the top 100. Uh, is that Kelly Clarkson's biggest hit? I don't know. That could be argued too because she's had a lot of great songs. Wow. And this is probably going to get a lot of debate here among people too, because sitting at 94 is Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. With those two being right side by side, I could see that sparking some debate there. And this is the first Whitney Houston song that is on the list. Number 95, Oasis, Wonderwall. That's probably going to spark some debate as well with that, uh, with where that's landing, because I think there's probably going to be, I bet there's a lot of fans that probably think that song's awful, awful low. 
96 Jay-Z, 99 Problems, released in 2003. That was a monster hit as well. Patti Smith, Gloria, released in 1975. That is going to come in at number 97 on this list. 98, The Beatles, In My Life. I like that song a lot. It's released in 1965. Number 99, The Bee Gees, Staying Alive, Disco. Making an appearance here big time at the bottom of the top 100. That was released in 1977. And number 100, Blowing in the Wind, Bob Dylan. That was released in 1963. So that's your top 100. That's that's going to spark a lot of debate. I'm just going to kind of scroll through and look at some of these others. You can ride along with me. <laughs> I'm not going to hit every single one of these. I'm just going to kind of grab any of these that get my attention. 103, Alanis Morissette, You Ought to Know, released in 1995. So there's another mid-90s. That song was a trailblazer as well in that era. The first Jackson 5 song, I Want You Back, appears at 104. Here's the second David Bowie song at 105 with Life on Mars from 1971. Another Rolling Stones song at 106, Sympathy for the Devil. Just Like Heaven, The Cure at 108. That's a good song too. Another Beatles song. There's a lot of Beatles in the in the top of the list, so they're getting a lot of respect here from Rolling Stone. Something is from 1969. That was number 110 on the list. The second Bruce Springsteen song for the list is Thunder Road at 111. Losing My Religion, R.E.M. at 112, released in 1991. That song was a huge hit, too. Uh, Britney Spears makes her first appearance on this list at 114 with Toxic. That's an interesting choice. I tend to like her earlier stuff, but Toxic, a lot of times when you hear Britney songs, Toxic is one of them that gets played pretty quickly. Etta James at last, 115, that was released in 1960. Of course, that song's a monster. You hear that everywhere. Wow, Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, It Takes Two. Released in 1988. Holy cow. There was, in the 90s, you could not get away from that song. Uh, just still scrolling around. Radiohead, 118 with Creep. See, I think I'd put that song, I don't know. I'm trying to say, I think I'd put that song over there. The other one that was listed, but I don't know. Radiohead fans know way more than I do. I'm just looking at it from a... Uh, Kind of a pop culture side to where I just mostly I know their hits, so I'm not a I'm not a expert <laughs> by far on the Radiohead side. So heard it through I heard it through the grapevine. Marvin Gaye at 119. Uh, another Beatles song at 121. The Beatles Let It Be, released in 1970. George Michael's first song, Freedom, Freedom 90. It comes in at 126. 
Yeah, that song was a pretty big hit for him too. TLC Waterfalls. That was a big that was a big song in 1995. That comes in at 127. That was yeah, that uh that got a lot of love in that era and has and has stayed that way. Led Zeppelin, A Whole Lot of Love, comes in at number 128. That was released in 1969. Martha and the Vandellas, Dancing in the Street, released in 1964, comes in at 130. 131's Benny e. King, Stand By Me, released in 1961. Journey, Don't Stop Believing, 133. That song's iconic. Uh, 134, Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It, released in 1984. Another Beatles song. Man, Beatles are all over this list. She Loves You, 135. And again, all these songs that the Beatles are, are uh, that they've got listed further up, they all top the one, for me, that is in the top 10. But again, I'm not a Beatles like fanatic by far, so... Unless any of you that are just Beatles fanatics uh, have differing opinion, that's I totally, I totally believe you. If that's if that's how you feel on it, that that song in the top tens over the others. Otis Redding, try a little tenderness, one thirty six. Ariana Grande, one thirty seven. Thank you. Next, wow, that might be the newest song on this list because it was released in two thousand nineteen. Unless I missed something else, that looks like the the newest song that is on this list that's ranked the highest. Blondie, Heart of Glass, nineteen seventy nine, comes in at one thirty eight. Madonna, Vogue, yeah, I forgot about Vogue. It's number 139 on the list, released in 1990. Yeah, I forgot about Vogue when I was talking a while ago about what songs to rank of Madonna's list. Rod Stewart at 141 with Maggie May. 142 or some classic country. George Jones, He Stopped Loving Her Today, released in 1980. The Clash at 143 with London Calling. Another Rolling Stones song at 144, Jumping Jack Flash. Outcast, Miss Jackson at 145. That was released in 2000. 148, Led Zeppelin with Cashmere. Yeah, talk about a long song. We talked about the one, the Beatles song earlier that they, they, they were saying was too long. This is a long song here. And of course, every time I hear this song, I think of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like that's... Uh, Every time I hear the song, I can see them driving down the road <laughs> on their date. That's uh, every time I hear that song. That's I think Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It just goes to show with you land a song in a movie and a TV show, uh, it will stick with you if it lands in something really good. One forty nine, Elton John with Rocket Man, Green Day, Basket Case is at one fifty. So that's your top 150 songs. 152, Credence Clearwater Revival, Proud Mary, released in 1969. Rick James, Super Freak, 153. The Who, Bob O'Reilly, comes in at 159. I love this song. It's released in 1971. 
I talked recently about music changes in TV shows, and there was a scene on Dawson's Creek where Jen Lindley was dancing to this song in her house, and I'm assuming on the DVD releases that that is replaced with her dancing to probably some really generic song. <laughs> Every time I hear that song, that's one of the things I think of is tying it to that scene. Madonna, Into the Groove, that was a big hit for her. It's from the Desperately Seeking Susan soundtrack that comes in at 161. Fleetwood Mac Landslide at 163. Bob Dylan, Mr. Tambourine Man is at 164. 165, first Hank Williams song, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. That was released in 1949. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. This is their first song in the in the list at 169 American Girl that was released in 1976 The Five Satins in the Still of the Night there's a classic song 1956 was when that was released and it comes in at 170 on this list What a Wonderful World you hear this every new year's if you watch the ball drop in New York City that's the song you hear, Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Comes in at 171. That's a beautiful song. Van Halen, Jump. This is their first song. I think, as far as Van Halen goes, I mean, that's probably their biggest. That's the hit that's probably going to get, you know, the most, the most eyes. You know, when you think Van Halen, I think most people are going to say Jump <laughs> with the... Uh, if you had to name a Van Halen song, that comes in at 177. Billie Eilish, this is another, I said with uh, Ariana Grande a while ago, this is another for uh, the newest that appear on this list. This was released in 2019, Bad Guy, comes in at 178. I really like that song, by the way. I think she's very talented. Like, what I, what I like about her is that most stuff that's on the radio now, so much of it just sounds the same. When her songs come on, you know it's her. That's what's really cool about her. She just has such a unique sound that when she pops on the radio with one of her songs, you know, you know it. Michael Jackson, this is his second song on the list, and he's all the way at 185. 185 beat it. I think, I don't know. I think Michael Jackson's stuff needs to go higher on this list. That's just me. <laughs> but Patsy Cline, Crazy at 195. That was released in 1961. And I'm just going to finish up here with the top 200. Aerosmith making their first appearance here on the list. 199 with Dream On. Dream On, that's interesting because it's, that song, like, hit a completely different level in the early 90s when they, wasn't it, uh, <clears throat> goodness, what was it that they performed that on? Was it MTV 10? If I remember right, that they did, when the MTV had their big uh, birthday celebration and Aerosmith came on there and they brought a lot of bands on that had been important with the run of MTV and they brought Aerosmith on and they sang Dream On and I believe it was MTV 10 I think that was the name of the show 
and it got a lot more attention on that song and really just elevated it even more because it was a song of mine because I was into Aerosmith at the time and I really liked them and that was one song that didn't wasn't really on my radar because I didn't listen to a lot of their earlier stuff so when this thing showed back up kind of getting more in your face in the early 90s you know, that song really got on my list of songs of theirs that I really like, too. I think of the list of Aerosmith songs, I can see that that would be the number one song that would be put out there. I could totally see that, that that's the song that they pick of theirs, although I've got a lot of songs of theirs that I love a lot. <laughs> uh, and then closing out 200... David Bowie changes from 1971. And you may ask, what was number 500 on the list? And that went to Kanye West with Stronger. So if you want to know, just for the sake of knowing, you know, what was the top 500 song? And that's it. That was number 500 on the list. So there you have it. I just thought I would run down the list and just kind of give some opinions. It's, I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This this list, I don't I don't know. There's there's a lot up for debate on this list of like who they pick for top songs of certain people, where they're ranking things. I really would like to know the like the demographic of these people that are voting. And then, especially compared to 2004, I'd actually like to go back and read their 2004 list now and just see what all they had on there. But yeah, I've definitely got some issues <laughs> with this list, but I'm sure every single person, if you're a music person, or even if you're a casual music person, you're going to have issues with the list. That's what lists do. They just make everybody debate and make people cranky. <laughs> so that's what, that's what lists are, are made for, to just get people to discuss, get people mad, and pull for what they like and be annoyed over stuff they don't like. That's that's what these lists do. And I'm sure this one has sparked all, you know, every bit of that. Yeah, it's uh there's stuff I agree with and then there's some I don't really agree with. There's some some people on this list that I think there should be more of. Some songs I think should be ranked higher. Some that I don't really understand how they're that high in the first place. Just just the full the full level of emotions on this, which I'm sure everybody has. So yeah, I heard that they had done this, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna just because I'd seen the top twenty, because I'd I was watching a show and they were talking about the top twenty list and they were giving their thoughts on it. Of course they had a lot of thoughts on it too, and they're hardcore music fans so they definitely had strong opinions on well, I wouldn't say strong opinions they they were just kind of puzzled on some of the stuff in the top 20 and they had definite opinion definite opinions on the songs that appeared in the top 20 so after that I just thought you know I'm going to research this list and get it and just kind of react in real time and you know let y'all follow along and maybe you can be reacting as I'm reading some of these uh, some of these off because I'm sure a lot of you are like, oh, yep, that's right. What? That one's that low? What? No. Yes. Oh, I'm for that one. I'm sure it was all kinds of reactions as you followed along with me. So 
that is the list of Rolling Stone's top 500 songs of all time. You can look that up on their website if you want to see the rest of the list and look at it a little more closely. Of course, I only read up to 200, so there's 300 more songs for you to pick out and figure out what you want to complain at, because <laughs> I'm sure, sure there's a bunch to complain about. So if you want to see more of the list, just go to Rolling Stone, look it up on their website, or just Google Rolling Stone Top 500 Songs of All Time, and it'll pull it right up. So if you want to see what the rest of the songs were and just uh, do some more analysis on the songs that they rank, they also have a little write-up on every song, which I did a little bit of, just kind of reading over it. But they do a good job of just kind of giving you a little background on every song so you can check that out too so go look at the list get angry get happy get sad get annoyed <laughs> whatever all those emotions that you get when you see these top 100 list of anything in the world <laughs> That is it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, God bless, and I hope you have a great week.